Hey there, you're listening to another edition of See It or Shove It. I'm Greg, your host, and I'm here to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, Denzel Washington's Equalizer takes to the streets of Italy, two teenagers start a fight club to land girls, and a grieving mother looks for answers after her son is murdered. Let's get started. In our first movie, hitman Robert McCall visits Italy looking to put the past behind him, but a local crime ring has other plans. This is The Equalizer 3. What happens here happens in many towns. The mafia. They like cancer. No cure. Who said you could come here? You should stay out of other people's business. Whatever it is, you and your friends do, do it somewhere else. You warning me? I'm preparing. (laughs) Is that a Timex? No, it's a boot. That's the median nerve that I'm compressing. That's a level three. The film opens in Sicily, where a drug lord and his child arrive at a villa to find one dead body after another lining the halls and corridors. He eventually discovers hitman Robert McCall being held at gunpoint on both sides of his body. Played again by two-time Academy Award winner Denzel Washington, McCall plays it cool as he quickly dispatches the gunman and the drug lord in a typically violent fashion. He retrieves a set of keys he came looking for and quickly leaves the premises. Wounded in the attack, McCall is found by a local cop, Gio, played by Eugenio Mastrandrea, who brings him to a local doctor named Enzo, played by Remo Giron. Enzo patches him up and takes him in as a guest while he stays in the village. McCall begins to enjoy a peaceful life as he feels more and more at home. When the village becomes threatened by a local gang leader, McCall, who had just begun enjoying life without violence and drama, begins feeling the need to defend the community against the criminals. After discovering a drug ring with ties to the United States, he informs CIA agent Emma Collins, played by Dakota Fanning. With both the CIA and McCall on their tail, can the drug ring survive going from the hunter to the hunted? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! The Equalizer films are not particularly known for their depth, but damn are they good, and this one is no different. There's a reason this is the only franchise that Denzel Washington has in his entire filmography. He clearly enjoys playing John McCall, and it shows on screen. This film was action-packed from beginning to end, and I will warn you, though, that the violence is brutal, including one scene where he jams a gun into a man's eye socket and then shoots another man through the first man's skull. It is graphic, it is violent, but it is also very entertaining. I did enjoy seeing Washington reunite with Dakota Fanning for the first time since their film Man on Fire in 2004, when Fanning was just 10 years old. This is allegedly the final installment of the series, but it is kind of left open for more if they choose to make them. You don't necessarily have to have seen the previous two to enjoy this one, although it does help to have a little bit of background. Next, two teenage lesbians look to lose their virginity by launching a fight club to land cheerleaders. This is Bottoms. What's your plan here? Jeff is like 
and they're picking on the weak and defenseless. So we teach a bunch of girls how to defend themselves. They are grateful to us. Adrenaline is flowing. Next thing you know, Isabel and Brittany are kissing us on the mouth. You can be our club advisor. You know, my mom did say I need to pick up a hobby. Welcome to our fucking fight club. Let's get it popping in this motherfucker. In this film, Rachel Sanat and Ayo Edabiri play PJ and Josie, two lesbian best friends known in school as losers and thugs thanks to a made-up rumor that they did time in juvie. It's a rumor that they made up themselves to appear tougher than they are. Both are desperate to lose their virginity, but with no prospects on the horizon, the two hatch a plan to raise their popularity by starting a fight-slash-self-defense club, hoping to lure in their cheerleader crushes, Brittany and Isabel, played by Kaya Gerber and Havana Rose Lou. The problem? Neither of them is lesbian, and Isabel is in a rocky relationship with the star quarterback, Jeff, played by Nicholas Galitzine. Teaming up with Hazel and Mr. G, played by Ruby Cruz and Marshawn Lynch, The girls develop their club into the talk of the school while also teaching their members how to stand up for themselves. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... See it! This summer, there's been a slew of raunchy comedies. Some of them have been more successful than others, and Bottoms is one of the more successful ones. Sanat and Edabiri are very charming in their roles, and the film is a satirical take on the teenage comedies of the past, you know, where you're looking at 30-year-olds playing teenagers, which is a concept that goes all the way back to Beverly Hills 90210. This film doesn't take itself too seriously, which then only makes the tender moments stand out and be more impactful. The pacing of the film is nice and tight at a brisk 90 minutes. When I saw the trailer, I was afraid it would be just too much in terms of the raunch, but I'm happy to say that it is a very smartly written script that engages the audience throughout without it being too much. I will say that the film's final act went a little off tracks in terms of believability, but in the end, it worked. Also, throughout the film, I was looking at the character of Brittany, and I was like, God, this girl looks just like Cindy Crawford, and sure enough, it's her daughter. Good lord, they could be twins. Anyway, if you're in the mood for a funny comedy, this could be worth your time. Next, when a woman's estranged son ends up murdered, she works with his girlfriend to find the killer. This is The Good Mother. I want you to talk to me on the record. You remember Mike's friend, Ducky? We think him and Michael might have been in business together. Selling heroin cut with fentanyl. Stuff called Mother's Milk. Mike was killed up the block from one of Ducky's stash houses. Ducky killed Michael. I know he would not do this. Then who killed him? You saw what happened? Set in Albany, New York, The Good Mother stars two-time Oscar winner Hilary Swank as Marissa Bennings, a down-on-her-luck journalist for the local newspaper who is estranged from her son Michael and spends her evenings drinking a tad bit too much. Jack Rayner plays her other son, Toby, a local policeman, who one day shows up at her work to inform her that Michael has been murdered. It turns out Michael, a heroin addict, was killed in a drive-by shooting. 
The prime suspect is Michael's best friend Ducky, played by Hopper Penn. The two were often involved in dangerous drug deals. However, Marissa thinks there's more to the story, as does Michael's pregnant girlfriend Paige, played by Olivia Cook. And the two begin their own private investigation into the death, and it leads them down dangerous paths. I give this film a... Shove it. So, this one was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, based on the trailer, but it still wasn't very good. I think Hilary Swank needs to find a new manager, because her talent is exponentially greater than the material here, as well as some of her recent choices. This had the potential to be gripping and a good suspenseful film, but the end product was just a cliched crime film with a very weak script. Now, my sister saw the film and guessed the plot twist right away at the beginning. I, however, was a little bit surprised by the big reveal, but that big reveal was also a big eye roll for me. Even the acting was not great from anyone, including shockingly Swank, a two-time Oscar winner. Like I said in trailer talk, this was filmed in my hometown, so that was enjoyable seeing all the places that were familiar to me, and they sure made the areas they focused on look like the dumps they are. I happened to be there last year when this was filming, and had I known, I would have been on the lookout for Hilary Swank. If you're looking for a suspenseful crime film to watch, and there are plenty of better options out there than this, so go see those instead of this. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Equalizer 3 is in theaters now and is a see it. Bottoms is in theaters now and is a see it, and it's also my pick of the week. And The Good Mother is in theaters now and is a shove it. Now, here's my brief take of some additional movies I watched this week in my segment, Quick Picks. Apple TV Plus's The Beanie Bubbles stars Zach Galifianakis, Elizabeth Banks, Sarah Snook, and Geraldine Viswanathan as the force behind the 1990s Beanie Baby craze. It tells about the rise and fall of the iconic toy that took over pop culture for a minute or two. While it isn't a film with much depth, and the lack of chronological storytelling can be confusing at times, I did find it to be rather enjoyable. It is streaming on Apple TV Plus and is a see-it. R.L. Stein's A Zombie Town stars Marlon Cazzotti, Maddie Monroe, and Oscar-nominated actor Dan Aykroyd as residents of a town that suddenly gets infested with zombies after a curse on a film takes hold of the town. Not even a brief appearance by Chevy Chase can save this garbage. Terrible acting, terrible special effects, and an even worse script. I know this is meant for kids, but I can't imagine any of my students enjoying this. It is playing in select theaters and is a huge shove-it. Let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles now available for home viewing. Let's get to now streaming. Oscar winner Ben Affleck stars in the trippy, mind-bending mystery Hypnotic, a film that had a lot of ambition but a terrible execution. It's not horrible, and it may play better on TV, which is where you can now find it on Peacock. To hear my full review, listen to episode 79. Rally Road Racers is a cute little animated tale that is a much better option for kids than Netflix's The Monkey King. It's an entertaining story that is now available on Peacock. To hear my full review of that, listen to episode 80. 
One of my favorite films of the summer is the very entertaining live-action version of Disney's The Little Mermaid. It was surprisingly enjoyable and will be streaming on Disney Plus beginning Wednesday, September 6th. You can hear my full review on episode 83. And finally, I realized after last week's episode was published that I forgot to tell you where you can find the crummy love again. If you are so inclined to watch it, it's on Netflix. Now it's time for Be Kind Rewind, where I look at films from the past that you voted for. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film based on a book. Your choices were The Wizard of Oz, The Color Purple, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You voted, and as of this recording, you chose Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'd like a bar of chocolate, please. My dear friends, you are now about to enter the nerve center to the entire Wonka factory. Inside this room, all of my dreams become realities, and some of my realities become dreams. Boys and girls, the chocolate room. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. What is this, Wonka? Some kind of fun house? The film, adapted from Roald Dahl's classic novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, tells the story of young Charlie Bucket, a boy who is growing up in a poor family who can barely support each other financially. Making matters worse is Charlie's two sets of grandparents, Georgina and George, and Josephine and Joe, who are bedridden and require much support. Charlie shares a special bond with Grandpa Joe. Charlie and Grandpa Joe are played by Peter Ostrom in his debut performance and Oscar winner Jack Albertson. Across town lives the reclusive and mysterious Willy Wonka. Oscar-nominated actor Gene Wilder plays Wonka, a man who runs a famous chocolate factory that has been closed to the public ever since his competitor, Arthur Slugworth, worked his way in to steal candy secrets. However, Wonka has a brilliant idea for a promotion that will once again give some members of the public access to the famous factory. Hidden inside five of his chocolate bars are golden tickets, each one granting a lifetime supply of chocolate as well as access to the lucky winner and a guest to come to the factory to see the latest invention, the everlasting gobstopper. Against the odds, Charlie finds one of the tickets, and he and his grandfather, as well as four other bratty entitled kids, embark on an unforgettable and often terrorizing journey into the depths of Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Released on June 30, 1971, the film aimed to be an extravaganza for a new generation of kids, sort of like a Wizard of Oz for modern kids. Producers hired the novel's author Dahl to write the screenplay, However, Dahl failed to turn in a completed screenplay, instead just rough outlines that referred to specific parts of the book. Eventually, he left the production, citing creative differences, and was replaced by David Seltzer, who finished the screenplay, although Dahl remained as the credited screenwriter of the film. Prior to casting Wilder in what would become one of his iconic roles, Producers considered Fred Astaire, Joel Grey, Peter Sellers, and even all six members of the Monty Python troupe to play Wonka. Wilder accepted the role on one condition. 
He wanted to enter the picture walking with a cane and limping before suddenly doing a somersault where he met the children. Asked why, he replied that from that point on, no one would know if the character was lying or telling the truth. One of the standouts of the film is the production design, which, according to film history, about a third of the set was edible. The iconic Chocolate River was made from 150,000 gallons of water, real chocolate, and cream, which by the end of production had turned sour, causing the set to have a terrible smell, or, as Augustus Gloop actor Michael Ballner called it, dirty, stinky water. Director Mel Stewart used a method acting approach, often keeping individual acting choices a secret on set, resulting in authentic reaction shots that you see in the final film. Wilder has said that he enjoyed the experience of filming with the children in the cast, except for one. When recalling his experience with Paris Temming, who played Mike TV, Wilder said, oh, he was a little brat, alluding to several troublemaking antics on set. When the film was initially released, although it received generally favorable reviews, it wasn't a great success, only earning $4 million at the box office on a budget of $3 million. However, over time and later with the explosion of home video, the film became a cult classic. One person who was not impressed with the final film was Dahl himself, who disowned the film and said that the liberties it took with the source material as well as the decision to make it a musical infuriated him. The film's score was nominated for an Academy Award, eventually losing to Fiddler on the Roof, and in 2014 it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, and remade into a successful 2005 film, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, starring Johnny Depp and Freddie Highmore. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is available to rent on various platforms. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is My Favorite Film, And since I just finished going over my favorites of the last 50 years, I'll go further back into the vault, and your choices are Once Again the Wizard of Oz, Mary Poppins, and What's Up Doc? Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. That's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. As always, thank you so much for listening. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. You can now drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at theatershoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week when I review the return of two franchises, the first, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, and also the hopefully very scary Nun 2. Until then, I wish all of you a great week. Bye, everyone. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.